Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, 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 good. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple people. I know because some have to leave early. It was a, a group of us are at most home football games and basketball games for that matter at University of Delaware. And uh, I just want to let you know, next year we've decided that what we're going to try to do is one of our small groups is go ahead and purchase a couple of parking spaces out there in the tailgate area. And uh, those will belong to our church and then one of our small groups will be just to come tailgate the home games. Does that sound fun to you guys? Yeah. You're on your own for tickets to the games and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, but we'll get the parking spaces. What, I'm hearing students like, oh, like you get in free anyway. What are you <laughs> complaining about? <laughs> Dorks. All right, so, um, but hey, I just, I, what I love about being at those events is it, it seems like every week more and more the True Life family is kind of represented well. And uh, in fact, like talk about a busy weekend Brandon Blue, where you at, man? Where you hanging out at? Where you at? There, there's Brandon. He was uh, he was up here playing bass this morning, but was out and marching all over the place in the in the marching band, the Blue Hand marching band. Yesterday, they they were killing it as usual. And then uh, also, you know, exciting for us, especially if you're a sports fan. Trent Hurley had like his career best day yesterday, and he's hanging out with us this morning. So, give him a hand. So. This is really cool, fun to just be there and just keep running into people who, who are a part of our family here, who come to church here. And How many of you guys were at the game? Any students that were, because the student section was rocking again yesterday, I love it. And, uh, but I have one beef with you, all right? So I'm just going to try to pastor this. Uh, I'm just going to take a moment to pastor you a little bit, all right? And, and it's that, that this is football, all right? And football is not a sport for gentlemen or for nice people. It is a sport where you hit people. And you cheer when they get hit, and you like that. And so um, I'm, I'm working on the families that sit near our area and our season tickets, gently trying to, to nudge them to being good football fans. And so if there's a third down and you're on defense, guys, you have to get loud. Like, you don't just sit there and then golf clap if, if oh, good, we sacked them, yay. All right, so Delaware, I mean, we're close to Philly here. You'd think people know how to be... They throw snowballs at snowman, just at at Santa Claus. Snowballs at a snowman. Doesn't work. At Santa Claus, just a little bit north of here. So you'd think we'd... And and for the love of God, stop cheering for the other team's band. It makes me want to puke, all right? You cheer for our band. The only time you cheer for the opposition is if their injured player gets up and makes it off the field. That's it. That's good sportsmanship. Everything else is being a weenie. So stop it. In Jesus' name, I cast that demon of niceness out of you. All right. <laughs> right, Trent? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay, I wasn't even Trent. Just somebody impersonating him. All right, so I haven't made fun of rednecks in a while. I thought maybe I'd, I'd heard this one the other day. You guys may have heard this one already, but the, actually, this is a quick one. I thought this might help some of you who live in Cecil County. Um, and uh, <laughs> how many live in Cecil County? All right, own it. Just own it. All right. So I found out how to know if somebody in Cecil County is about to die. All right. This is how you know if someone in Cecil County is about, immediately following this words in Cecil County, someone's about to die. And it's just simply this. Hey, y'all watch this. So uh, it's true. It's true. Add a four-wheeler to the story. Add a motorcycle. Add a homemade diving board. I'm just saying, hey, y'all watch this. Somebody's about to die. All right. So, 
So we kicked off this new series called Baggage last week, really excited about it. It's kind of this really trying to liberate some people and free some people up. And today I just want to get right into it. I want to talk about the baggage of guilt. And uh, I think this is a, an issue that like almost every Christ follower at some point deals with and, and struggles with. It's a big deal. And, uh, and maybe, maybe you're dealing with it. Maybe it's found its way into your life and you don't even really know it. I think that's oftentimes what has happened is, is this guilt and condemnation issue it, it seeps into our hearts because we all have a tendency to go back towards religion, back towards rules, back towards regulations. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have outlines about what's right and wrong. That's, I'm not, it's not free to be you and me, do whatever feels good. That's, that's silly. The Bible's given us very clearly in Scripture some guidelines that we ought to follow. But oftentimes when we break God's laws, instead of finding a way to accept His grace and have Him help us deal with the issues... We, just, we really just compound the, the problem by getting into this rut of guilt and condemnation. And the enemy just likes to pile it on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the enemy of our soul, he is the only one responsible for reminding you of your past. God never brings up uh, your past mistakes. The Bible says that he wipes them away, that he takes our sins, he puts them as far away as the east is from the west, that, that because of the work of the cross, if you accept Christ, that all of that is, is erased, it's gone it's over with, but the enemy loves to use our past, loves to use our mistakes to create guilt, and, uh, and it can actually cause you to view God the wrong way. Um, I spent uh, a, a pretty significant amount of my life, I think, with a, an unhealthy view of God. I, I used to think God was mad at me all the time. I used to think that God was sitting up in heaven looking at me it, with a microscope, like just inspecting every piece of my life, waiting for me to make a mistake so that he could punish me and, uh, and tell me how bad I was. And, and, uh, and, and you, know, that, that just, you know that's not scriptural at all. It's not in the Bible. Um, that, that's not, he, does, ang- does sin bother him and anger him? Absolutely. Sin, sin angers him and bothers him. But I want, I want you to know that one of the things that angers him and bothers him about sin is he knows what it'll do to your life. It, it's not so he can... Uh, beat us down and, and make us feel bad, it's because it's he knows that sin destroys us, and he doesn't want us to live broken, messed up lives. He wants us to live whole and complete lives, and, uh, and the work of the cross, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, I'm getting fired up, but the work of the cross gets cheapened when we keep the sin on ourselves and we refuse to accept God's forgiveness and we carry guilt around it. So I want to, that's a good place for an amen right there, and, uh, and so I want to, we do that here by the way, Joel said we're weird and that's one of the weird things. Um, if I say something good, you have to boost my ego with an amen. All right, so, 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 so maybe you've done this. I, I've spent a, a significant portion of my life thinking God's like keeping score on me. Like he's got this little scoreboard, this little ticker, and, and it's like, it's almost like the way we do Santa Claus in the naughty and the nice list, right? And so I think, man, if I've got enough check marks in the good box, then maybe God cares about me. Maybe he answers my prayers. But if I'm, if I'm in a, a pattern of sin and I'm messing up, God doesn't really care about me. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And, uh, and so what we do is we get ourselves into this self-imposed, self-created prison, and we carry around this baggage of guilt. And here's the problem with it. Once you take on the baggage of guilt, your life turns into this repeating cycle of trying to pay your debt back to God. And here's the thing. You can't. You can't pay the debt back to God. The wages of sin is death. Who wants to die? No? You're not excited about it? So, so here's the... Cause, why? Because somebody already did. 
Jesus did. He was the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And so when we receive his forgiveness, God's view of us changes completely. Before Christ, he looks at us and he sees sinners. Whenever we receive Christ into our life, he looks at us and all he sees is his son who's perfect and blameless, the spotless lamb. Your sins are forgiven. Your mistakes are forgotten. Come on, is that good news for anyone this morning? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, because we take on this baggage of guilt and it weighs us down and it, and it wears on us. But look what Jesus said. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he said, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody ever carried anything heavy before? And I will give you judgment. No. And I will give you condemnation. No. And I'll make you feel worse about your... No. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. Man, don't you just, have, have you ever had a season of life where you just needed a break? <laughs> just, God, I just need some rest. And so what, but what guilt does is it actually causes us to do the opposite of that scripture. What's the, what's the condition here? Come to me. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. And, but what guilt makes us do is it actually makes us go away from, it makes us run from God. And so the burden gets heavier. And then we're going, God, why can't I get any rest? And he's going, because you haven't come to me. Just come to me. Some of us are so tired from carrying weight, you're exhausted running from God. And so what I want to call you to this morning is hopefully a place where by the end of the message today, you're ready to run to him. You're ready to take the guilt, take the baggage. Scripture says this. If you study theology, we can, we can prove this in Scripture, that it's almost like we crucify Jesus over again when we allow guilt to keep us from him. It's almost like we eliminate the work of the cross when we allow guilt to separate us from him. David dealt with guilt. Look at Psalm 38, verse 4. This is how it made him feel. He says, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. When does guilt happen? I think guilt happens when you mess up. I mean, just, it, it's that simple. When you, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, when you fall, when you fail, the enemy, man, he is watching for that moment in your life and he jumps in. The Bible says he's a, a, like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. And I think that when we mess up, that's when the enemy jumps in as quickly as he can and starts just piling on the guilt, piling on the condemnation. And uh, a couple years ago, we were living out in Northeast. That's why I can make fun of Cecil County, because I've lived there long enough to know it's all true. And um, it's, isn't it, Austin? It's all true. All right. They're not. They, they don't count. All right. So, but we had had um, uh, not really an ice storm, but, but kind of like a, a night where we got that freezing rain, drizzle stuff. And um, I was getting ready to leave for work. I was still working a normal job at the time, and my wife was following me out to the door. So I opened the door, and um, she's like, you need to be careful out there. And I looked at our sidewalk, and I was like, eh, it looks normal. It's fine. And I stepped out the front door, and we had, you know, it was a townhouse. Front door, one, you know, a, a larger porch area, and then a step and a step down to the sidewalk that went out to our driveway. And, <clears throat> and I stepped down, and I hit it with one foot, man, and um, like straight out of home alone. I was just, I just, poof sailed, and it was like, you know that saying, your life flashes before your eyes? You know why? That's really true. Like, the whole thing felt like slow motion, and I thought, the whole time I'm going, this is it. (laughs) 
I'm going to come down. I'm going to crack the back of my head on this step. My, my wife's going to watch the whole thing. She's going to be traumatized forever. She's going to meet therapy. This is, it's over. This is, I went from that, first that step, skipped all of the steps and landed like right on my back on the sidewalk. And, um, and here's the thing about something like that. Like I'm the first thing through my head, and maybe it's like this when you mess up, when you fall. The first thing going in my head was who else saw it? <laughs> was it just my wife? <laughs> and so for a moment, I was embarrassed. And then, but almost just real quickly after that, I realized that hurts. I just want to get up and know that I'm okay, that everything's all right, that nothing's broken, that, that, my, le- that I, my legs still work, that all... So, so for a, and that's what I think it's like when we fall and when we fail. For a moment, it's embarrassing. The problem is the enemy jumps on that embarrassment and gets us to hide everything in our own pride because we don't want anybody to know about the failure. And that's what we think. That's the first thing we think is who else knows? Who else saw it? If nobody else knows, if nobody else saw it, I can hide this. I can keep it to myself. But the problem is when we keep it to ourselves, that's the enemy's opportunity to bring guilt into our life. And what we ought to do is run to the cross. And so I think there's probably some people there today, you are laying flat on your back. There's been a season of embarrassment, but now you just want somebody to come pick you up. And here's what I want to say to you. I think even a little bit prophetically this morning, and Joel already said Jesus is coming for you. I just want to tell you this morning, man, the Holy Spirit is here today to pick you up. If you are carrying a weight, if you are carrying the baggage of guilt, if there's something in your past that you've not been able to deal with, you're going to get up today. And I just, I just speak it over your life. And, uh, and I, I hope, man, that you can believe that, that you can grab a hold of some faith today because God can deliver you from this. Some of us are there. We just need to get picked up. You know, I, um, you know what I like about this thing, this guilt, baggage guilt issue, is that it's not one of these things that we have to work on over and over and over and over again for years. Like, you can really deal with it today. You can, you can make a decision. I like to say this, make a decision once and manage it the rest of your life. And so we can make decisions today to take all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our mistakes to the cross, make it a habit for our lives, make the decision once, manage it the rest of your life. You know where the heroes of faith in Scripture always got stuck? It wasn't when they messed up. It was when they started believing that their mistakes would keep God from using them. It wasn't the mistake that ever kept the heroes of faith in Scripture from being heroes of faith. The fatal flaw was always when they let that mistake turn into a belief that God can't use me anymore. I'm not good enough. To get that, we've got to, if you were to go take some theology classes, you would learn about a couple things. You'd learn the law of first mention. You'd also learn the law of first order. And what the law of first order is, is if you want to get the general idea, the real heart of of an, of an issue in Scripture, you've got to go to the first time that it shows up. And so what I want to take you to is the first time that relationship between us and God shows up in Scripture. It's the law of first order. What is that? It's Genesis. And you've got Adam and Eve. They're walking around the garden. They're enjoying God's presence. There's, there's no competitiveness between them. No scorekeeping. There was a childlike relationship between man and and God, and can I say to you that that is what God wants for you is to have a childlike relationship with him. But when guilt comes in, what happened? They messed up. There was sin. Now there's guilt. And the childlike 
relationship went from being childlike to childish. And there's finger pointing and there's scorekeeping and and uh sound like maybe some marriages in the house today. Sound like some relationships that you have been in. When when guilt comes in, I, listen, guilt will not only affect your relationship with God, it'll affect every other relationship in your life because when you get into the cycle of guilt, then you start to see all of the other relationships in your life through the same lens. And so you keep score. And you try to remember who's on your good side and who's on your bad side. And you'll end up alone because living that way is exhausting. Because everybody will fail you. Genesis 2.25, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now I want to put the emphasis on the the no shame thing here, all right? I know some of you are excited that we might talk about being naked. That's not going to happen. I want to put the emphasis on the no shame. In fact, I think the one good thing that came from the fall, that came from the curse, is clothing. <laughs> you all don't believe me. But I just, okay. Just think about this. Before you came to church today, somebody else sat in that seat. <laughs> Thankful for clothing now, aren't you? That's what I thought. True story. We were doing a church in a movie theater down in Florida. I, I, maybe I shouldn't tell this. Never, we're not going to tell that. We had something bad happen to one of the seats the night before, and somebody sat in it. That's all I'm going to say. Don't worry. We check all the seats here every morning. <laughs> so God, man, God, just sit down with your childlike faith in that seat and just believe it's been checked. All right. God wants us innocent like a child, not childish. Innocent like a child, but not childish. Because you see, kids get it both ways, right? There's kids over there right now in our kids' ministry, and, and I guarantee you that most of them are not sharing their cookies. <laughs> like, that's my cookie. I know my daughter. My daughter's like, that's my cookie. Get your own cookie. They're not just sharing the cookies with each other. There's, there's times when at five years old, four years old, three years old, as cute as they are, they're very childish. Because that's, that's why it's called childish. Being a child, that's mine. Give me what's mine. But at the same time, if we were to bring them all in here and teach them a song and put them on the stage, everybody in here would listen, and at the end of it, we would stand up and give them an ovation. And it wouldn't matter that half of them didn't know the words. <laughs> It was terrible. You've been to like little kids' Christmas plays. They're not good. <laughs> They're terrible. But at the end, we're all like, wow. Why? Because there's that innocence there, and it's so fun to watch. And so kids get both sides of it, the childlike and the childish. <laughs> and guilt makes us childish. It makes us childish. It makes us want to hide. When Adam and Eve fell, they hid And that's what guilt causes you to do. It makes you want to hide. But here's the problem. To get rid of your guilt, you can't hide. Guilt makes you want to hide, but if you want to get rid of it, you you can't hide. So we need to be closest to God at the times when we're often running from Him. At the time we need Him the most, our flesh makes us want to take off in a dead sprint the opposite direction. So what I want to do today, man, I want to encourage you To get to the place where you understand when guilt sets in, your first reaction needs to be to run to the cross. Run to Christ. Look at Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I would submit to you that that yoke of slavery is guilt. But look at, look at this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Very simple logic here. Why does he want to set you free from guilt? Because he likes seeing you free. It's for freedom, Christ set us free. It's because he, wa- he wants us free. He wants to see us living in freedom. When I talk to people and counsel people, if, if, they, if they really open up, if they really bear all, if they really share everything, and we get to that place, what I find, I'd say probably 90, 95% of the time is this. People believe a few things. Number one, they'll say, God loves me, and they're right. The second thing they'll say is, I believe he, he, he forgave me, or he can forgive me, and they're right. But if we really talk, and we really dig in, almost every single person I've ever met with in this scenario would say, but there's one or two things that I just don't think God can get over, that I've done. There's one or two things in my past, there's one or two secrets that are hidden, that I just, as much as you say it, no matter how loud you preach it, I just don't think God would ever get over the fact that I did this. And I think he actually, most of us are secretly and quietly in this room today, there's a, one or two things in our lives that we, in our heart, we honestly believe that God holds against us. And it drives you to do things like go to church. Because you think if you go to church enough, You'll feel better and you'll get caught up, but I'm telling you, going to church won't fix it. It'll drive you to get into a religious habit of reading the Bible, and you should read the Bible, but I'm telling you, if you read it from the motives of guilt, the Scripture will do nothing for you. It drives us to get, we'll spend seasons just praying harder and harder and harder, God, please, 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 and, and, but we do it out of religious duty instead of out of relationship. And there's nothing there. There's no, can I just tell you something? There's no power in guilt-driven religion. Zero. Because it's for freedom. Christ set us free. Others, some of us came today, and during the music, we're singing and we're worshiping, and we're just thinking, if I can just show God that I'm, a, that I'm worshiping hard enough, if, if I can just make him believe how much I, I really want to be in a relationship with him, then maybe I can get rid of this, guilt, this guilty conscience that I'm carrying around, and I'm telling you, it won't work. While others in the room have taken their mistakes, have taken their guilt, have taken their shame to the cross, and learned how to stand before Jesus in childlike faith and say, <laughs> I messed up, God, can you fix it? Here, you can have it all. And he says, I'll take it. That's why I went to the cross. That's what it was for. And then when we come into worship, it's not driven by guilt. It's driven by relationship. And so we're actually thanking him for the freedom that we've already received. Do you see the difference, church? The baggage of guilt. So what I want to do is I want to give you some places that I think, that I think the baggage of guilt comes from. And here's the first one. What causes guilt to become Baggage. Here's the first one. I think it's when you have painful regret. Painful regret. Here's the thing. Love, the Bible says love doesn't keep a record of wrong, but the problem is most of us do. We keep score. We keep records. And here's what I want to say to to some, I think some of you need to hear this today. After salvation, after we receive Christ, there are times when the world and culture and all the things that it has to offer can look really fun 
and really amazing. And it is for a season. But, but the enemy of our soul has done a great job in our culture of creating false advertisement. So I, I just want to tell you, you can, you can live however you want to live. You can sin it up. You can go crazy. You guys who are students, freshmen, sophomore on campus, don't you dare allow yourself to, to settle into a place of pride where you think you've got it all together spiritually and there's no chance that you would fall victim to all of the crazy things that happen on college campuses in America. Because I'm going to tell you something. The second you start believing that is the moment you fall. We're all one decision away from stupid. It's just true. We're, just, we're all one decision away from stupid. And so the world can look great, but it's false advertisement. And you can live a life, if you're not careful, you can start making, get into a pattern of making the same mistakes over and over again. You get into the cycle of guilt, and, and it doesn't work. But here's the thing. I've met plenty of people who, if I say, hey, what's the, what do you regret? You know what I almost always hear is, I wish I'd just, I wish I would have just gone all in and lived for God. I wish I would have done it sooner. I hear it all the time. In fact, I've never heard anybody say, I regret living for God. <laughs> never heard it once. Not once in all my life. But we'll try other things. Let's look at somebody who should have had some regret. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. This is a crowd of people. And they ground their teeth at him. Who is him? It's Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. Some, some versions of the scripture say gnashing their teeth. I don't even know what that is. I mean, are you just so angry that you're like, <laughs> That's actually what the Greek translates to, is they became animal-like. They were so enraged by Stephen's uh, profession of his faith in Christ that they became like animals. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And check this out. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who's Saul? He's the guy that Jesus knocks off of his donkey, redeems, and ends up writing most of our New Testament. His name changes to Paul. Do you think if you're Paul, you might live with a little bit of regret? You managed the first martyr. You oversaw it. How would you like to carry that around? I'll pass. So you would think that this guy would understand regret, yet it's the same guy who writes Romans 8, 1, and 2. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Listen, when you mess up, there is a life-giving power of freedom that the Holy Spirit can bring into your life that sets you free from the guilt and the shame and the regret. We don't have to hold on to pain for it. If Paul can write that after overseeing the murder of Stephen, 
what in the world could you possibly be carrying around that Christ can't free you from? If anybody should know regret, it's that guy. Painful regret will turn guilt into baggage. Here's the next thing that I think turns guilt into baggage. It's, it's really simple. It's just it's when you hold on to it. When you choose to hold on to it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And you know what the enemy will do to us is when we mess up, he'll say, see, you're not new. You're the same old you you've always been. But what did we say a couple weeks ago? What are we going to do during this series? Bible says that we don't wage war as the world does. <laughs> so what we do is we take captive every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we demolish it, we destroy it. And so here's what I want to say to you today. You might be sitting in a place in your life where the enemy has convinced you that you're the same old you that you've always been. Not true. It's not the truth. Just receive the light of God's truth this morning that you're not the same old you you've always been. If you've received Christ, yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to fail. And yes, there should be a moment, a season, where you feel bad about it. But then you run to the cross, and you receive freedom, and he picks you up, and you keep on walking. The problem is, most of us, we fall, and like I fell that day on the sidewalk, we lay there on our backs, and we just, uh, I mean, what if my wife came out to help me get up, and I was, I was like, I'm sorry, I, I can't take your help, honey. Why? I don't deserve it. What kind of idiot falls on ice? But that's what we do. I mean, that's how, that's how we are with God. I heard somebody say one time that, that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and, and was crucified and paid the price for us, you know, the Bible says that even after the resurrection, he still had the scars on his hands and his feet. And I think, I just, I just wonder if maybe those are there just to be the receipts for what he purchased. I mean, can you imagine like going to, going to Best Buy and you pick out the nicest, biggest TV that you can find and you go up to the front and you swipe your card and you pay for it and they give you the receipt so you know it's yours, you know it's paid for and then they say, do you want us to help you get it in the car and you say, I, I'm, I can't take that TV. Why not? I don't deserve it. But it's paid for. Yeah, but I, I don't deserve it, T-Joy. And that's how we are with, with the freedom Christ is. He's going, hey, I've got receipts right here. I, I paid for that. That sin that you're struggling with, that you're wallowing in, that guilt that you're wrestling with, I, I paid for it. You're free. I have the receipts. Just go. Move, get on with life. Stop struggling with the guilt, and we, but we hold on. Here's the thing about it. Conviction always gives you a way out. Condemnation always makes you hold on tighter. Some of you ought to write that down. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. What is the conviction of the Holy Spirit? It's when I'm in the process of, usually, by the way, conviction starts before you make the mistake. <laughs> usually the Holy Spirit's there going, don't do it. Stop. But we we do it anyway, and then what's the Holy Spirit do? The Bible says that his job is to continually convince us of our need of a Savior. And so after we mess up, he's going, all right, come on back. Come on back. Bring that to God. 
don't, don't live under the guilt of that. Don't live under the shame. Come on back. Let's, let's work on it. Let's figure it out. That's what conviction does. But condemnation will make us go, oh, I did it again. And, we, and our grip gets tighter and tighter, and we hold on to it, and, and the guilt turns into baggage. Here's the other thing that I think, and this is the big one, turns guilt into baggage. When you don't allow God to forgive you and cover your sins. When you don't allow God to forgive you and cover your sins. Now here, let me teach you some theology this morning. Every sin that any of us ever commits, the Bible says it must be paid for. It, it must be paid for. And there's only one way to pay for it. It's the shedding of blood. Death. That's why the Old Testament is full of this tradition of going back to the altar of sacrifice. And so there's this constant cycle of bloodshed because something has to pay the price for the sin. And it didn't work because there's no relationship attached to that. So what happens? God sends His Son, one perfect sacrifice once and for all, and he, the, it, when you receive, I need you to make sure you understand, this is simple theology, but many of us don't live like we believe it. When we receive Christ into our lives, listen, your sins are forgiven and they are paid for and they're covered. It's taken care of. It's handled. But when we live, like, remember I told you at the beginning, when I talk to people, there's always those three things, and that last one is that they always think there's one or two things that they don't think God will ever let go. And, and so we actually turn Scripture into a lie. We, we turn Jesus into a liar when we live that way. Every sin must be paid for, and He paid for it. Some of us are refusing, listen to this, some of us are refusing the payment that's already been made by Jesus by holding on to guilt. You say, I'm too weak, I'm too messed up, I can't let it go. And I would say to you, yes, you're too weak, you're too messed up, that's why you need to let it go. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best when? In weakness. Anybody feel weak? Anybody? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who's ever felt weak? Anybody? Show of hands. Have you ever felt weak? All right. Yes, we're weird. Participating church. I'm just going to keep the weird theme rolling today. Let's keep it going. So check it out. If you're weak, you are set up perfect. For God to show himself strong in your life. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. This is Paul writing. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Because I told you, that's, that's my struggle, is oftentimes I just feel like I don't measure up. God, there's this great vision, this great dream that you've given us for reaching Newark and building this church, and you picked me? Do you know how weak I am? And he says, that's why I picked you. Because in your weakness is where I can show up and do things that blow people's mind. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want God to do stuff with your life that nobody else can make sense out of? If it's grace, it can't be works. And if it's works, it can't be grace. It's either one or the other. Either we earn God's grace by the things we do, or he gives it to us freely. 
It can't be both. It's one or the other. And the Bible says it's grace. It's not works. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You can't be a good enough person to get there. It's only through the cross. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that you've got a shot. And I'm thankful that he did it for me. Come on, aren't you thankful for that this morning? Some of us think... So us thinks to ourselves, this is the way we are about serving God. We think, I'll get around to it once I fix everything. Then I'll serve you. That's works. That's not grace. That's religion. And you can't earn forgiveness. Now, I love this old song. It got popular again recently. Maybe you know it. If you do, you can kind of sing this little refrain with me. You, remember, you heard this one. It says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white. Come on, sing it again. Maybe you need to close your eyes and just believe that this morning. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white. Let's just have a moment. This wasn't in my notes. This wasn't my plan. Just keep your eyes closed. Let's just have, some of you just need to receive that this morning. He washed it white as snow. Sin has stained your life, and you've been dealing with the shame and the guilt, but he's washed you. He's cleansing you right now, right now. And you just need to receive it. Just believe it. Romans eleven six says this, and since it's through God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is. Free and undeserved. Free and undeserved. So what happens? If we, can, if we can deal with the baggage of guilt, how can it change our lives? I just want to give you three quick things that you will see happen in your life if you can make the transition from carrying the guilt and the baggage and the shame and give it to God. Number one, it will change how you relate to people. It will change how you relate to people. Because guilt will keep you in the cycle of keeping score. It'll mess up your family. It'll mess up your marriage. It'll mess up your friendships. It'll mess up your job. Because you'll just be in the cycle of scorekeeping. When you think God's keeping score on you, you try to keep score on everybody else. It's just how we work. It'll mess up everything. Philippians 2, 1 and 3 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Can I just tell you, you can never get to the place where you count others as more significant than yourself unless you're you're living life from a place that starts with grace. If you're living under guilt and condemnation, you'll never be able to count anyone as better than you because you'll always be keeping score to figure out whether or not you're ahead of them. And it won't work. It doesn't work. It'll kill your marriage. If your marriage is a scorekeeping marriage where you're keeping tabs on whether or not your spouse has met all of your expectations and conditions, it's not going to work. I'll be counseling you through a divorce. That's what will happen. It changes how, if we can live with grace, it'll change how we relate to people. Number two, it'll change how you relate to God. It'll change how you relate to God. 
I, um, I heard a story of a, a pastor down in Arkansas who uh, um, his little girl at four years old decided she was mad and wanted to run away from home. And, uh, and she got up in the middle of the night and got out of the house somehow and made it down around the corner out of their neighborhood out onto a highway and with a wagon, made it about two miles down the road. When this nice lady pulled over and said, sweetheart, what are you doing? And she said, I'm, I'm running away from home. And the, and the lady said, well, maybe I should give you a ride back home. And she said, I can't ride with strangers. <laughs> She's like, but you can run away from home. I guess. All right. So this, this nice lady followed her with her wagon two miles all the way back, woke him up in the middle of the night, told him the story that she had found their daughter. And his name, the pastor's name is Rick Bezet, and I love hearing him tell his story. And he says, because this was before he started the church that they pastor now. He was living in Louisiana at the time. And he said, you know, if that lady had never found my daughter and never, and never helped her get back to the house, I would have I never, never left Louisiana. I'd still be there looking for my daughter. It would have changed, changed the scope of every relationship that I have. I would have picked my friends based on who was helping me look for my daughter. Everything about my life would have become about who's helping me look for my daughter. And can I just say to you this morning that when you're running from God, that's how he feels about you. He says, Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 to go look for the one. So, so for Jesus, when one of us are, are astray and we're away from God, he'll change everything to come find us. That's the kind of relationship if you can see God that way, it'll, it'll change your perspective on everything. Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God, beside God's throne. So would it, was the cross shameful and embarrassing? Absolutely. If you ask Jesus if you're worth it, he'd say absolutely. And when you can start to see God that way, it changes everything. Getting rid of the baggage of guilt will change how you relate to God. Here's the third thing it does. It changes how you're used by God. And I would submit if you're living in that place of guilt and shame, you can't even really be used by God. You can't. Because, again, everything will be about the scorekeeping. Psalms 18.35, you've, you've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. And some of us need to make that our life scripture right there today. Your right hand is supporting me and your gentleness is making me great. So here's the thing about when we preach here, we always want to give you like some practical steps to go do. But I, I don't have any today except one. There's really only one thing you can do with any of this. It's the last set of fillings there in your notes. There's only one thing you can do, and that's give all of your guilt to God. Just, just give it to Him. Just let Him have it. And stop living with that baggage. Stop living under the weight of sin and religion because it's for freedom that He set you. Just so He can see you free, He set you free. We got to believe it. We got to live like that. Chad, would you come up, man?
in just a second, I'm going to turn it over to, to Joel. He's going to come give you guys an opportunity to give and, and close out the service. But before we do that, would you just close your eyes this morning? And Of course, everything I've shared today is conditional on you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and the truth is, there's probably some of us in this room that don't have a relationship with him. We've never invited him into our life. We've never received salvation. We've never received the cross. And if that's you this morning, I, I just want to pray with you just want to pray, for, pray with you this morning and lead you in a simple prayer to invite Christ into your life.